Hallelujah. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Thankful to be here on Father's Day. Amen. This is, I was thinking this morning, and I'll admit to you that I got a little bit emotional when I was thinking about it. It's my 19th year without my father. And uh, so I carry his Bible on every Father's Day. So I dug it out and brought it today. And every year I get a little bit more scared to preach out of it because he got this for his 14th birthday, which was in 1968. So it's a little bit old and been through the wars, but I like looking through it every once in a while. Amen. All his notes written in here. Amen. It's one little way I can give honor to my dad. Amen. I'm thankful that I had him for 20 years. Amen. And I, the more I live, and the longer I live, the more I realize how important and vital position as a father is. Amen. How much my family depends on me. Amen. To be a leader. Amen. And you know, you can be a leader in multiple directions. Well, now y'all just went to sleep on me just like that. Amen. But y'all, you can be a leader in many different directions. We can take him to the good or we can take him to the bad. Amen. Achan was a leader. And he led his family to destruction. Amen. But there's been many other examples that we can follow. Amen. That led their families towards God to a better place in the Lord. Amen. I'm striving today. I mean, my goal, amen, is to lead my family to the Lord. Amen. To take them to church and keep them in the church. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be here today and be in Olathe. Amen. Every time we come here, it's just like, man, you drive through and I had to use my GPS to hit Olathe because I didn't know how to get there from where I was. But man, when we hit the, when I hit that road, Lone, is it Lone Elms? Is that what it's called? Man, we just flipped the old GPS off because now I knew where I was. Amen. When I need to go get ice cream, I know where to go. Amen. And I was there last night. Praise God. And they, they was even a pleasant surprise when they had my favorite one. Amen. Peanut butter freak. Amen. But it's good to be here. Amen. We have a lot of memories here. Amen. I couldn't help but remember this morning. I don't know why. Amen. I don't know why it was this story that I just came to memory. This is the only time in my life that I've, uh, and the only place in my life that I've ever had to escort somebody out in the middle of church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Me and Brother Josh won't forget that one anytime soon. Amen. That lady was uh, interesting. Hallelujah. And I'll never forget, I got to the back. I told her, she kept trying to turn around talking. I just kept telling her to keep marching right on out the door. And we hit the door. I said, yo, just, you just come out here. Don't come back. Or if you come back, we're going to call the police. And I turned around and Josh was already talking to him. Hallelujah. Amen. It's like, well, she didn't even have to come back. Hey, hallelujah. But that was an interesting, interesting morning. Amen. And uh, we had church in spite of it. Amen. The Lord moved in spite of it. Praise God. You know, there's some, all kinds of things the enemy likes to bring in to distract us in our services. Amen. Try to distract us from what God is wanting to do. Amen. But greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Amen. I wasn't intimidated then. I'm not intimidated now. Amen. He's greater than any spirit that could walk in the door today. Amen. My God's greater. My God's bigger. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm glad to feel the presence of the Lord that we feel. 
Hallelujah. I'm glad to know that you can leave a place and come back nine months later. You still feel the power of God, the presence of God, that God's still moving. Hallelujah. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to be the same all the way to the end. Amen. All the way till the trumpet sounds. There's still going to be folks filled with the Holy Ghost. There's still going to be lives being changed. Amen. My God hasn't changed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you walked in the door today with a need, I'm going to tell you the answer's in the house. If you walked in here needing a healing, the healer's in the house. If you walked in needing salvation, the Savior's in the house. Amen. Whatever you might need, I'll tell you my God is able. My God is awesome. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. So good to be here tonight. If you stand with me, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Go to the 61st Psalm. Amen. Elder, I want to say again what a privilege it is to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Amen. I laid down last night. It's like, man, this is familiar. Hallelujah. Slept a few nights in that bed. Amen. Praise God. Slept a few nights in that room. Amen. Turn the lights off. Kids are sitting there. I said, man, it's bright in here, isn't it? <laughs> I like to state the obvious. Amen. And Trey's like, I think I can see something. It's like, well, you might be able to in your imagination. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. But it's good to be here. We love and appreciate this church. Amen. Love this church very much. And we're thankful for everything you've done for me and my family through the years. Amen. We love the brother and sister Riggin. Amen. Pray for this church often. Amen. We pray for this church often. God wants to build a big church here. Amen. Every time I think of Olathe, I take, think of all the thousands of folks that need God. Amen. I'm thankful that there is still a lighthouse. Amen. There's still a lighthouse in a dark world. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, they told me when I turned 40, I'd have to start wearing reading glasses. And I told them they wasn't, they was lying. They weren't, praise God. Hallelujah. Literally like a month after my birthday, I was struggling to read my notes. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I went to Walmart. I didn't even buy nice ones. I bought cheap ones, praise God. I'm a little bitter about it. Amen. <clears throat> I went to the eye doctor, and he says, well, you don't really need them. I'm like, well, if I strain, I can read without them. He said, but it'd be a whole lot better if you warm. It'd be a lot better for your eyes. It's like, well, thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you for your encouragement. Amen. He said, I can get you some contacts. He said, I'll get you one for distance and one for near. And I heard about someone that did eye surgery that way one time. Yeah. And I've refused to do that because I heard the stories. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm thankful. I don't know if I should say thankful, but I'm thankful the elder shared his story with me, so I know better. Amen. And, uh, you know, sometimes we learn by example. Amen. Praise God. Oh, it's all right if I'm myself this morning. I can't be anybody else. Amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 61 and verse number one says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. 
For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. Praise God. Amen. For a little bit this morning, I won't preach. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Ask the Lord to have his way in this place this morning. God, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence, God. Thankful for your touch, God. We feel this place today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody's hands in the air. Let's give him some praise right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, you're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen, amen, and you may be seated. Amen. If we, we very well know, obviously, the story of David. Amen. I hope it's all right if I preach about him this morning. <clears throat> amen. But David, amen, we find him as a shepherd boy. Amen. A young man tending to his father's flock. Amen. We find him out there, amen, doing everything he could, amen, to be what he could for his father, to help his father. Amen. His responsibility was those sheep. And so we find David out there tending to his flocks. Amen. I'll tell you what, it's important to do what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. And he was doing it to the best of his ability. Amen. We know that a lion came against him, but the Bible said that David grabbed it by the beard and smote it and killed it. A bear came against it. He, he dispatched the bear as well. Amen. Anything that would come against his father's flock, uh, he did what it took to get rid of the danger. I could preach right now for just a minute. If I could step out of my message for a moment, uh, being his father's day. But I'm going to tell you something. You have a responsibility to your family to protect them and to keep them and to have a safe haven for your family. When the lion and the bear come up, uh, it's not time to turn tail and run, uh, but it's a time to step out in boldness. uh, Amen. To take care of our families. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My Lord, I'll tell you what, it's my responsibility to keep some things out of my house. It's my responsibility to protect my children from some things. Amen. They don't need to know everything. There's a lot of things they don't need to know. There's a lot of problems in life that I go through that my children don't need to know the details. I'm going to protect them from that. Well, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But David was there to keep his father's sheep. And one day he was doing, amen, his duties. Praise God. If I'd find the right scripture here. This Bible scares me, I'm telling you. Amen. There's pages falling out of it. Hallelujah. I think I'm in the right spot now. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm also used to printing my notes out, but I didn't bring my printer, so I'm trying to read my own handwriting. Hallelujah. But David was doing his duties, amen, and, uh, and they were up against a situation in Israel, amen, because Saul had rebelled against God, and God had removed himself from Saul. 
and Saul had, he had taken the kingdom from Saul. And it was time to raise up another king. It was time to find the replacement for Saul. And so he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And when he gets there, he, he said, man, get your sons to pass before me. And that firstborn comes by. And there's Eliab. And he, man, I'm telling you, he looked the part. Because Samuel, when he saw him, there was some excitement got in his heart. Because this one looked like a king. He had the bearing of a king. He had the stature of a king. But God spoke to Samuel and said, hey, you don't look on the outside. You got to look on the inside. There's something missing on the inside with Eliab. He may look it on the outside, but I'm going to tell you something. There's got to be it on the inside too. We got to look at yes on the outside, but honey, there better be something on the inside too. There better be a desire on the inside. There better be a soft heart. Amen. A moldable spirit on the inside. It's not just the outside, but I'm telling you, there better be something down deep on the inside. Something that God can reach down and work with and that God can shape. Hallelujah. Eliab looked apart, but God said, huh, huh. He's missing it on the inside. And all them boys passed by. And finally they all came by, and Samuel said, Lo, wait a minute. And he looked at Jesse and said, Is there any others? <laughs> Amen. He said, Is there anybody else? In verse 11 of 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. That's his job. That's what he's good for. He's the youngest. He's insignificant. And by their culture, he was the youngest, and he was insignificant. And, and, and Samuel said, well, hold on a second. <laughs> Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he cometh hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose up and went to Ramah. Amen. God chose his replacement. And the man of God lifted up the horn of oil and poured it over the head of David. Amen. Anointing him to be king in Saul's place. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something about David is he did not ascend that day from the shepherd's field to the king's palace. He didn't immediately step into that role as king over Israel. But there was a lot of days from then until the day that he finally sat on the throne. There was a lot of trials that he had yet to live. There were some victories that he won, but there were some trials that he had to endure. Hallelujah. We know the highlights. Amen. He ministered to Saul with his harp and was singing those beautiful psalms. We know he went on the battlefield and slew Goliath. Amen. He became a great champion in Israel. They sang songs about him. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Amen. Everything was good. Amen. He got the daughter of Saul's hand in marriage. Amen. And life was good. Until Saul got jealous. 
till Saul decided that he was going to take matters into his hand. And he began to try to kill David. And David has to run. And David flees. And he's chasing him with an army. Amen. The same men that he served with, the same men that he fought beside, are now hunting him down. And he gets out there and he gets away from everything familiar. He gets away from all the things that he was used to. And all of a sudden, men begin to come to him. And we know them later in the scripture, David wrote them as his mighty men of valor. But these were not the choice men of society. These were folks that were living out in the bush for a reason. They were trying to get away. They had ran away. They had, they had done things, and, and they were in hiding themselves. But they bound together with David, and he had himself his own personal army. And Saul's chasing him. And one day Saul comes into the cave where he's at, and David could have right then and there ended the chase. Instead, he cut a little piece off his robe and waited till Saul had left the cave, and he holds it up. And he said, hey, I could have ended your life, but I didn't. But he had to repent, too, because he repented that he even touched him. Amen. And so second opportunity arises and, and Saul's there and he, he's encamped and they're sleeping at night. And David and Abishai go down into the camp of Saul and a great sleep fell on them. So that they walked right up to Saul. And they're sitting there talking about him and he's laying at their feet. And Abishai said, let's end the chase. He's like, no, I will not touch God's anointed. He said, give me that spear and give me one blow and I won't need a second one. And I'll end this right here. And David said, we will not touch God's anointed. And I'm going to tell you something. That message hasn't changed from that day till this day. We don't touch the anointed of God. Get your hands off the man of God. Let the man of God preach to you. Let the man of God get in your face if he needs to. And step on your toes a little bit. Amen. And let him lead you and guide you and direct you. Don't touch the anointing of God. Get your hands off of him and let him preach. Hallelujah. There was never a doubt in my mind. That my dad loved me. I always knew my dad loved me. But I'm going to tell you that there was more than one time, many more than one time, that dad walked in my room. Off came the belt. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. And I was as stubborn then as I am now, probably. And so I'd put up a little effort in resistance. And it never paid off. It never paid off. Because dad had a certain amount that he would, he would deal out of punishment. And the longer I fought, the more strokes were added. Hallelujah. And I never got the minimum. I don't remember ever getting the minimum, I'm telling you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But there never was a time that I didn't think my dad loved me. But the reason that he was doing that was because 
he loved me. And I know that correction in these days, we've got laws and we've got things, but I'm going to tell you something. Discipline is still in order. I'm not going to raise a child without discipline. Lord, have mercy because I love my kids and they got to learn how to be disciplined in life. And I'm going to tell you something. When the man of God gets up and preaches something that may not appeal to the flesh and we don't really like it. Can I tell you, most of the times he probably doesn't like having to preach it either. I've been there. There's some things that you're required to preach because God puts it on your heart. But that does not mean you enjoy one second of it. But because you love him and you're obedient to him. And because we love the people of God. And the order came down from heaven saying, feed the flock over which we have made you, I made you an overseer. Amen. He's going to step up here and preach what he feels. Now, don't go to sleep on me. We'll get back to where I'm going in a second. I'm going to tell you something. Let your hands off of him and let him preach to you and take what he's preaching and apply it to your life and begin to live the word of God. I don't want to be just a hearer of the word, but I've got to be a doer also. Amen. So there they are. David wouldn't let Abishai pin him down. And so he took his, I believe it was his, did he take his spear, staff, something like that, and his water jug, gets up on a hill and starts yelling and wakes him up and said, look what I've got. I could have killed you again, Saul, but I didn't. But then, amen, I'm making a short story long, I guess, but amen. But David, he, Gad comes to him, I believe it's in chapter 12, don't quote me on that, but amen, he tells him, go dwell in Judah. You go to Judah, 22 maybe. He goes, go to Judah and dwell in Judah. You, you'll be okay there. But finally, David gets to the point where he, he thinks in his own heart, Saul is going to kill me. Hey, so I'm going to go down and make truce with the Philistines because I know that Saul won't chase me there. And he goes down and makes a little pact with the chish and, and he gives him Ziklag to dwell in. And everything's good, he thinks. Saul can't chase him there. Saul is not going to invade that land. Saul's not going to do that. And David thinks he's got it all taken care of. But I find no place in Scripture where David ever asked God if that was the right thing to do. David said in his own heart that he's going to do that. And so the time comes for war. And so Achish calls his private army of 600 men that he has stashed in Ziklag to come fight with him against the Israelites. So David gets his men, and they go stand with the Philistines. They're fixing to fight their own people. But God delivered him from that because the other Philistine rulers got a little nervous when they looked at David and his men, and they knew all the times that they had fought against them. And they said, we're going to get in the middle of the battle, and these men are going to forget, forget who they're fighting for, and they're going to turn on us because they've always fought us. And so he sends them home. They get home. Of course, their city's been overrun. That Ziklag is rubble. It's smoke and ashes. Their families are gone. Their possessions are gone. In fact, these mighty men of valor, these tough men, the word of God says that they wept until they had no more power to weep. They thought in their hearts, they thought amongst themselves to stone David. Putting that blame squarely on David's shoulders. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. And he turns back and he makes his appeal to God and says, should I pursue 
And the Lord said, pursue, for you shall recover all. And they go after, long story short, they pursue, they recover everything that was taken, recover their families, no harm done to anybody. They come back to find that Saul has fallen on the battlefield. David becomes king in Judah. A few years later, he is king throughout Israel, finally fulfilling the word of God that we had read about in 1 Samuel 16. And I would like to tell you today that everything in David's life was smooth sailing from that point on. But it wasn't. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find that David, his men are at battle, they're at war, and David's at home. And in the cool of the evening, he goes on the rooftop. And there he beholds Bathsheba bathing, and he desires for desires her, sins for her, commits adultery with her, and sends her home. And word comes to him that she is with child. And so he sends for her husband, who, by the way, was one of his mighty men of valor. And he sends for Uriah and brings Uriah home to try to cover up his sin. Well, but Uriah would not go home as long as his men were at war. He said, I'm not going home when my men can't do it. I'm not going to go home. I'm not going to go home and do, enjoy being home with my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. So he guarded his king all night long, sat at the gate. So David gets up in the morning figuring his problem's solved. But it's not. So he gets a little worse, and, and he, gets, he gets Uriah drunk. No other way to put it. He gets him drunk and tries to send him home, but even then he wouldn't do it. And he sat and guarded his king. And so the next day, David's like, okay, Uriah. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And he writes a letter to Joab. It says, put your Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And the fighting is fierce. Withdraw you from him that he may be smitten and die. And so they go. The fighting is fierce. They sound the retreat. Uriah wouldn't retreat. And he fought until he died. When the word comes that Uriah is dead, he takes Bathsheba into his home. Takes her as his wife. And he's covered everything up. And everything's good. Until... 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. He had a little pet lamb. Now, I don't know why, but that's what this story was. He had a pet lamb, and he had it in his house. It ate of his own meat, drank from his cup, laid in his bosom. He, he cuddled up with it when he went to bed at night. Okay? It was his pet. We have Charlie. Hallelujah. And Charlie gets off the bed when it's bedtime, and he goes in his own bed. Amen. Because Charlie ain't sleeping on my bed. Charlie tries every night. He snuggles up to me, tries to be all nice. But Charlie's going to his own bed. And he's just a little mutt. But this man had a ewe lamb. And it was like his daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd a dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. 
And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou has killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbors and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst this secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord hath also, hath also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child thou also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Judgment. Can I put it that way? Judgment that fell upon David for his action. The man of God came and told him a story, and David in his self-righteous indignation said, That man shall surely die. And it's turned back around to him when the man of God says, Thou art the man. We know David repented. David made things right with God. But I want to tell you something. David had to live this for the rest of his life. Starting, I believe it's in the very next chapter, when his oldest son Amnon desires his sister Tamar. And instead of going to his father and asking for her in marriage, which was perfectly acceptable in those days, and he would have done it. Instead, he tricks her and forces her and then despises her. And Absalom, her full brother, is furious. But nothing happens. He waits for the space of two years for David to do something to Amnon. And David does nothing. So Absalom, after two years, decides he'll take care of things himself. And so he, he has a meal, a dinner, and Amnon's there. And in the midst of it, he has his servants fall on him and kill him. And David's firstborn is gone. But Absalom also is gone because he runs away. And he's three years, I believe it was, in exile. Three years away. Three years that David had exiled him. And finally, Joab's working on David. You got to bring Absalom back. You gotta, you got, we got to do something here. We got to make this right. And so Absalom finally comes back and he's two more years. But David will not speak to him. David will not see him. And every day it goes on. Absalom gets more bitter and more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. And finally, word is two chapters away. Absalom leads a rebellion. And in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, David himself has to flee from his own son. He's running from Absalom because Absalom has taken over his kingdom. And he is there and he's exiled from his own, his own kingdom. And he's running, and he's running, and Absalom is there. And we know the story, how that the battle came, 
and they were turning the brother, and Absalom's men, amen, were taking a whooping, and Absalom runs and gets snarled up by his hair's head, and he's stuck in this tree. Joab goes and takes his life. And the word comes to David. And David, who had had to run, David, who had to flee, goes on the rooftop. Absalom, my son Absalom, would to God I had died for thee, Absalom. A heartbroken father. Some historians say it was through this time that David wrote this psalm that said, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. I'm overwhelmed by life. I'm hurting. Amen. I'm broken. I don't know if this was with time, but there were many opportunities in the life of David where trial came and heartache came. Amen. We can trace it back, but still he had to hurt. And in those times of hurt, he said, hear my cry, oh God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart's overwhelmed and I don't know what to do or where to turn, I don't know what to do. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He said, I can't get there on my own right now. I don't know what's going on. I can't find the way, but Lord, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. Take me to that safe place, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. He said, I will trust in the covert of thy wings. And the storm winds are raging. And the rain is pounding down. That old mother hen is going to gather her young under her wings. That old bird will sit there and bring his young, her young under her wings. And David said, I'm going to trust in the covert of thy wings. You've been a shelter for me. When I didn't know where to turn, you were my shelter. When the enemy came against me, you were my strong tower. When I was overwhelmed, and I want to tell you something. In life, every one of us is overwhelmed. There's been more than one instance in my young 40 years, amen, where I've been overwhelmed. And I didn't know where to turn or what to do. Had not, I did not know what tomorrow was going to bring. But in those times of desperation and in those times of fear of the unknown, amen, I could cry out, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. And he never failed to reach down. He never failed to lead me. He never failed to guide or direct me. But he put me in a safe place. He helped me find a shelter. He put me under the cover of his wings. Without a doubt, in one of the darkest hours of my life, 
I walked into this building. Sat right over by where my wife is right now. And the man of God stepped behind this pulpit and preached to me. All the way from Africa. I don't know if you remember that elder. God have mercy that he preached to me. But you know what that was? That was God saying, hey, let me lead you to the rock. That was God saying, let me lead you to the rock that's way higher than you. That was God saying, hey, listen, where you're at right now is not where your final destination is. It may look like it right now because you're overwhelmed. Let me tell you, let me lead you to the rock. Let me give you a little strength. Let me give you some shelter from the storm. Because the storm winds are going to blow and the rain's going to beat down. Hey Amen. The storm's going to happen to all of us. But I'm telling you, when I'm overwhelmed, he'll still lead me to a rock. He'll lead me to that firm place, that firm foundation. Hey Amen. Where the wind can't shake me and the storm can't move me when I'm standing on the rock. Second Samuel 22. I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing, but hey amen. David wrote this psalm at the end of his life. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge my Savior, thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The stairs of death prevented me. In my distress. Have you ever been in a time of distress? I don't know what anybody's going through here today, but I'm telling you, I felt this since the elder asked me to come. Uh, hey, man, this has been on my heart. Uh, I don't know who's in distress today, uh, but in your distress, uh, I called upon the Lord uh, and cried to my God, uh, and he did hear my voice uh, out of his temple, and my cry did enter his ears. Uh, hey, man, in that time of distress, uh, in that time of being overwhelmed, uh, when we cry to the Lord, uh, he never fails to hear. We are able to say the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. When everything else blows apart, I know that he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I can trust in him. I can lean on him. I can cling to him and know that in an ever-changing world, in an ever-shifting world, I can grab a hold of a rock that will not move. People change. Jobs change. Circumstances change. Man, we're living in an ever-shaky world. 
I'm telling you, it seems like from day to day, things can rock us, <laughs> shake us up. The winds are blowing. The Lord is my rock. My family, man, they're my support, yes. But I'm telling you, family can change. Friends can change. Lord, have mercy. Friends can change. I'm telling you, my God is my rock. In verse 17, he said he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me. For they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Man, when the enemy came, it was rough. But he delivered me. He brought me forth because he delighted in me. Because David, oh my. When David was confronted with his wrong, he was not like his predecessor. He was not like Saul who said, go pray for me, Samuel. But David went and I'm telling you, he put himself in ashes and sackcloth and began to pray, began to cry out to God, have mercy on me, oh God. For I acknowledge my transgression, my sins ever before me. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Don't let your Holy Spirit depart from me. And the Lord delighted in him. He worshiped. He was a worshiper. He praised God. He loved God. He lived for God. And I'm telling you, when calamity came, God was there to pull him out. In verse 29, it says, For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by thee have I run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler or a shield to all them that trust in him. For who is God? Save the Lord. And who is a rock? Save our God. God is my strength and power. And he maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet. And setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war. So that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me thy shield of thy salvation. And thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me. So that my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. And turned not again until I had consumed them. And I have consumed them and wounded them. That they could not arise. Either they are fallen under my feet. Why? Because God did it. Verse 40 says, For thou hast girded me with strength to battle. Then that rose up against me hast thou subdued under me. You did it, God. Who is God save the Lord? And who is our God save a rock? Verse 47 says, The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of the rock of my salvation. 
It is God that avenges me and that bringeth down the people under me and that bringeth me forth from mine enemies. Thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. He is the tower of salvation for his king and showeth mercy to his anointed unto David and to his seed forevermore. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. For thou hast been my shelter. You've been my strong tower, the tower of my salvation. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but I tell you, when them winds blow in, when the trial comes and confusion comes, lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock. That place where I can stand and not be shaken. That place that has firm footing. A firm foundation. Hallelujah. In Psalm 94, the writer of this psalm, verse 16, says, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, My foot slippeth, my foot slippeth. I'm trying, but my foot is slipping. I'm in unsteady ground. Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by law? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense. And my God is the rock of my refuge. He shall bring upon them their own iniquity, shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. The Lord is my defense. And my God is is the rock of my refuge. (laughs) The rock of my refuge. That when the storm is raging, I can find my way to a refuge. When the storm winds are blowing, he's my refuge. When I'm hurting inside, he's my refuge. When I don't know about tomorrow, there's one thing I know. I know who holds my hand. Many things we fear about tomorrow. Many things we don't understand. But Brother Jerry, I know who holds tomorrow. Brother Williams, I know who holds my hand. When everything is upside down, I can run to a rock. I can run to a place of safety. I can run to a refuge.
that no matter how fierce the storm is, no matter how rough it is, I can find refuge in my rock. Many folks have told me I'm absolutely insane and crazy, but one thing that I would love to do in life is go Gulf of Mexico and ride out a hurricane. See, I told you, think they'll think I'm crazy. Amen. But to see the power, 100 mile an hour plus wind, sustained winds, to see those trees that you can't even shake bend all the way over, to see the power of a storm, to me it would be interesting. As long as I was in a safe place, praise God. But I'd like to see it. I most likely never will. But it's something that I think would be interesting. But at the same time, I almost feel, Elder, like I've been through a hurricane or two. I've felt the destructive power of the wind. I have felt the rain beating down upon me. I have seen the lightning flashes been shaken by the thunder but in the midst of the storm he is the God of my refuge when I had to go home and tell my six-year-old my five-year-old my two-year-old that we were leaving and moving packing up and leaving our home He was my refuge. The day we loaded our moving truck and left Prince Edward Island and I listened to my baby crying for an hour driving down the road. God was my refuge. For two days when my two-year-old would ask every 15 minutes about four people he loved that we had left behind. God was my refuge. When we landed here on a Thursday and the next Wednesday, we were down in that evangelist quarters reeling and my phone rang. And this is going to sound crazy, but it was a bad minute. And someone called to tell me that our dog had just been hit and killed that we were supposed to go pick up in a month or two. And I had to turn around to those same children and tell them that their dog was gone. God was our refuge. When the yapping jaws were out there and the accusations came, God was my refuge. When the questions came in the midnight hour, and I laid in that bed saying, God, what in the world? He was my refuge. Because I had a rock. Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, therefore, whosoever, verse 24, 
Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The same storm, but the only difference. It could have been the exact same house, but the difference was in the foundation. One house was built on a rock, but one was built on sand. One had a sure foundation, brother. We know and understand what it's like trying to build on a faulty foundation. I pastored a church, and I've probably told you the story before. They built this thing, they drew the plans themselves. Big old building. Big old abandoned building these days broke my heart. Thanksgiving Day, went and looked at it, broke my heart. Pulled up to an abandoned building. That building, brother, was beautiful in its day. Built it in 1974. But the problem was in the foundation. Jaheim and Jerome have been in that building. Amen. Jaheim remembers that building good. Hallelujah. Amen. But the problem wasn't in the building. The problem was in the foundation. It has a bad foundation. And so if you were on, for instance, coming out of my office and headed towards the sanctuary, you walked uphill. Or I'm sorry, you walked downhill all the way to the sanctuary wall. And when you started across the sanctuary, you walked uphill to the middle of the sanctuary. And then you went downhill to the sanctuary wall. And then if you kept walking, you went back uphill to the outside wall. Because the man that designed the building thought that most of the weight would rest on the outside walls. But the way they built their trusses all the way to the roof sat on the sanctuary wall. They had a six or eight foot stringer on the outside wall and they had a two foot on the sanctuary wall, and that two foot sunk because it had a faulty foundation. No matter how beautiful of a building it was, it was built on a faulty foundation. No matter how beautiful of a life you build, if it's built on sand, when the storm winds blow, that house is going to fall, and great will be the fall of it. But when you take the time to build on a rock, when you take the time to dig down to that bedrock, and you build it with a firm foundation, that same storm is going to blow. That same storm is going to rage. But that house is going to stand 
because it's built on a firm, strong foundation. If we're built on anything else, life, life is going to take our feet out from under us. If we allow ourselves to be built on anything less, then our life is going to be built on something that will not stand the test of time. Read one last reading of scripture found in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly drained together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We are built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself, the stone that was rejected of the builders. There was no former comeliness that we should desire him. The stone that was rejected of the builders has become the head of the corner. And everything, if I understand that ancient type of building correctly, when that cornerstone was laid, every wall was built from that cornerstone, referencing the cornerstone. In modern construction, we call them benchmarks. There's a benchmark on that foundation, and they know exactly where that mark is. And everything, if you're building a wall, you pull from that benchmark, and you know you're going to be right. Because that mark is right where it's supposed to be. It's in the perfect place. That cornerstone, if we could build based on a cornerstone. Built on him. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. If we're obedient to the word of the Lord, where the word of God is preached, and we build it into our life, and we build our life on that word, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, built on a firm foundation. Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and he began to he said we know that I ought to teach us him from God because no one can do these works except the Lord send him he looked at him and said except a man be born again except a man be born again can I see the kingdom of God except you be born again marvel not that I say it to you you must be born again you must be born again of the water and the spirit We're built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I don't have time to get into it all today. I'm going to say, then prophets prophesied the foretold of the coming of Jesus Christ. And when he came and he walked among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But he came as a sacrifice. He came to die. He came to shed his blood. He was buried and he rose again. Well, 
I'm going to be built on him, I've got to find an altar to repent. Oh, don't go to sleep on me now. If I'm going to be built on him, I've got to find an altar and repent. I've got to be buried with him in baptism, baptized in the only saving name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins. And if I repent and I allow myself to be baptized, the promise is, is that he would fill me with his spirit. Evidence by speaking in an unknown tongue. Thus begins, begins a life built on him. life that's built on a firm foundation, a foundation of Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. I don't know where you are in life today. I don't know some of you. I've never seen some of you all my life. I don't know your circumstances. don't know your life story. Can I tell you, your life better be built on the solid rock. If your life is not built on Him, I beg of you, and I mean it, I beg you today if I have to, to come and repent. Submit yourself to being baptized in His name that you can be, those sins can be washed away. And the promise is that He would fill you with His Spirit and you begin to walk in newness of life. And that when them storm winds blow, and they will, it rains on the just and the unjust. Hey Amen. The storm winds are going to blow. But the difference is, is that now I'm built on a solid rock. Now I've got a foundation. Now I can run to that rock. That when my heart's overwhelmed, I can just say, lead me to the rock. I don't know where I'm at right now. I can't understand it. I can't see where I'm going. Lord, would you lead me to the rock? Lead me to that shelter. Lead me to that place of refuge. Lead me to that tower. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're in a storm today, I came to tell you it's time to go to the rock. It's time to run to the rock. If you can't find it, why don't you say, Lord, lead me. Lead me to the rock. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, today would be a good day that you could put that firm foundation under your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wish I knew who I was talking to right now. But someone's in a storm today. Why don't you come to the rock? Why don't you come to the rock? Why don't you bring your storm? Why don't you bring your confusion? Bring your doubts to this old-fashioned altar and put it in the hands of the Lord. Why don't you come and say, God, I need your help. David was never ashamed to cry out to the Lord for help. David, the king, the sovereign king, that powerful 
to hear the cry. I invite you to this altar this morning. Why don't you come and seek the Lord? Why don't you come and seek the Lord? Why don't you come and just ask him to lead you to the rock? If you don't have the Holy Ghost, why don't you come and repent? Why don't you repent of your sin? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once you've repented, if you lift up your hands and begin to praise him, I'll tell you, he'll fill you with his spirit.